Welcome to another Analytica podcast this week with Philip Brown, head of influencer marketing and advocacy at Come Round. How are you, Philip? I'm excellent, thanks. How about you? I'm very well. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. For starters, why don't you tell us a little bit about Come Round, about the, the concept and about what you do there? Sure, yeah. I mean, um, Come Round is an, uh, an influence marketing agency um, founded in um, 2009 uh, by my colleague, um, kind of uh, built on the premise of uh, companies and agencies wanting to be more direct to consumer. Um, so that's kind of how it started, uh, all through kind of more offline uh, influence back then. Um, and I joined in um, 2013. Um, I was in uni back then. I was doing a lot of research, um, had to write a dissertation, studied marketing, kind of came, um, came on the topic and, and found the company, thought it was very interesting. Um, so it kind of knocked on their door uh, with the premise of, you know, I can help you guys. Um, built something, and then um, I started to do a lot of research, and then kind of influencers, bloggers came around, so we kind of built that um, aspect into the business. So what we tend to do is we try to combine uh, influence um, across the whole board, across the spectrum, if you will. So we work a lot with um, everyday influencers, a lot with micro-influencers, and sometimes we'll work with some mid-range or top-tier influencers, uh, kind of depending on uh, what the client wants. Um, and at the same time, I'm a very, funnily enough, very big advocate for brand advocacy as well. So um, I try to steer away from um, influencer marketing being just kind of advertising, but I try to make it organic and focus very much on that brand advocacy element um, as well. So that's what we kind of do as an agency altogether. Yeah. So there are two things in there that I want to dig into straight away. A, you were talking about not going for influencer advertising, but rather going with an advocacy model, which is reflected in your title. What's the difference and what are the gotchas that people need to watch out for? So for me personally, obviously, influencer marketing is, is, you know, a lot of people kind of call it the wild, wild west of marketing at the moment because there's so much going on and there's so many different terms and terminologies being kind of thrown around. Um, and kind of what my experience tells me and, and how I've kind of grown into this role and, and all the conversations I've had with people and brands alike is that kind of influencer marketing for me, is uh, very much kind of a, a long-term exercise um, where, you know, you try to build a community with, with influential people and um, very much being genuine and authentic where there's a good fit with the brand. And then um, within that process, you want to create brand advocacy. So it's not a, it's not a short-term thing. It's very much a long-term thing. So, you know, you're going to sow the seeds and you're going to reap the rewards in the long run where... I think influencer advertising has become very, very popular over the past couple of years because it's um, it's very quick, it's very easy. So a lot of it is working with an influencer um, for a one-time opportunity, um, you know, building building more awareness, product interest, um, potentially using marketplaces to get quick and easy access to you know micro influencers. You know, it's all about that quick turnaround, about that quick awareness, and there's not necessarily that kind of interest in a um, long-term partnership. Um, and I think that those are kind of the different approaches. 
So in, in a way, would you say then that really the hallmark of, of really good influencer marketing is about not needing the hashtag ad? I mean, it really depends on what you, I mean, I'm not going to preach what, what exactly the, the right way to do things is, but I think um, what, what I try to do is, is build a campaign where you build something where, you know, there's, there's that potential for consumers to actually start using the hashtag organically. That's definitely something uh, we bear in mind, but that's, you know, that's just our approach and it's not necessarily, you know, the, the end all be all, but I think in terms for to create something organic and long term, I think that's something that a lot of people should bear in mind. So especially in the consumer space, which is what we've been talking about, where where probably influencer advertising is comparatively more prevalent than it is in, in B2B. Um, what's what what do you think are the pillars that uh, that make up better choices in terms of setting yourself up for advocacy and to build those long-term relationships? Um, I mean, it, again, it really depends kind of what someone wants out of a campaign. But when it comes to kind of um, building a strategy where long-term and brand advocacy are very much um, what you want from it, um, there's a couple of things you need to kind of bear in mind, I suppose, and that's is very much kind of brand um, brand influencer fit. Um, so I would recommend perhaps not necessarily looking at marketplaces for um, for a campaign where you're trying to build a long-term relationship. Um, again, that's the second point as well, is that relationships are very important when you try to build brand advocacy as well. So um, that's brand fit, obviously, first, and relationships because you, know, you, you want to start creating that kind of equal partnership um, kind of premise. And once you build on that and create a good relationship with the influencer, then they obviously, you know, it starts out you paying them to create content. But if you kind of build on that, then in the future, it might actually end up that the that influencer likes the brand so much that they'll create that um, content organically. So it's definitely um, a relationship is a very important aspect of that. Yeah, and value is a great keyword for, for us to keep going on that. So obviously we've been talking just now about the value to the brand and the value to the influencer. Um, if we introduce maybe a third element to that, and that's the value to the audience, how do you think a brand can use that in building the relationship with the influencer better or more effectively? I mean, it's, it's incredibly important, isn't it? Because obviously, when you um, when you work with an influencer, it has to work both ways. Obviously, so um, you know before you start even reaching out to an influencer, you need to think about you know what is it that we and it's not even about the influencer itself. It's it's like you say, it's about their audience. So as a brand or as a product, what do we have? Um, to offer to the influencer and that audience that is of interest to them. You know what I mean? You have to be able to provide something like that. So the influencer then goes, all right, this is very interesting. I can personally benefit from this, but also my audience will also see the value in this. And then when you kind of you start thinking in those kind of terms, then um, naturally you'll start creating better campaigns as well. Absolutely. And I think the one of the key determining factors to continuous work with an influencer is that value to the audience because value to the influencer can almost always be provided 
in similar ways from multiple different brands or multiple different marketers, right? But the value that you can provide to their audience is more likely to be unique and much more likely to tie you together with that influencer for a longer period of time. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I have a I have a small example on that, actually, is that um, a couple of weeks back, there was a big uh, music festival in Belgium called Tomorrowland, a big dance music festival. And um, we actually, um, come around as an agency, was engaged by um, a car manufacturer, and they wanted to send influencers to Tomorrowland because they sponsored the event, and they wanted to get some kind of extra content, and they wanted to start to kind of build relationships with influencers. Um, so we were engaged for that, and we did a lot of research. But in terms of kind of um, the kind of value proposition, um, they got free access to the to the Tomorrowland Festival, and um, their flights were all, you know, covered, and they had VIP access and everything, and they also had an experience, um, kind of a money-can't-buy experience. There were DJs there that gave them kind of, you know, private performances. They got to drive a, test drive a car and stuff like that, and what we saw, actually, is that basically every influencer that we engaged was immediately interested, because obviously, from from an influencer perspective, that's cool because obviously Tomorrowland is very much a, it's a big thing in the influencer world. Um, and obviously they like to get, you know, freebies like that. But a lot of them also saw the, the value for the audience as in a lot of people like that house music. A lot of people know of Tomorrowland. A lot of people had that envy, you know, they want to go there and then for the audience to see them having fun there in, you know, in correlation with that brand that just, we saw, amazing results on the back of it because it just offered so much value and, and great content and just as an aside can you share with us what the uh what the messaging ambition was behind that what platform uh you were working on in terms of uh what the car maker wanted to get out of this so um it was all on instagram so that's uh that's kind of the main outlet and i think you know a lot of people are focusing on instagram as well um we also generated some some YouTube videos off the back of it, but the majority uh, was definitely static, um, static Instagram content as well as Insta stories. So those are becoming very popular now as well. And obviously, kind of for a for a festival like that, um, stories lend itself perfectly. And kind of um, the car manufacturer wanted um, obviously awareness, but also kind of you know for for the influencers to show that you know the manufacturer was was there and was in touch with that type of audience to kind of build that brand within that target audience. Awesome. That's a, that's a great example. And also that the, uh, while visual content was the main outlet, that that, um, is something that you ended up taking multi-channel in terms of also creating something on YouTube. That sounds, uh, sounds like you guys did a great job there. Now, when we were talking about Instagram, it's been in the news fairly recently that, it's become harder and harder to identify real versus fake influence on Instagram. What's, what are your opinions on that topic? Oh God, it's uh, <laughs> that's very much a hot topic at the moment. You're absolutely right. Um, there's definitely ways that you can, uh, you can kind of dodge fake influence. Um, I think a lot of people are falling in the fake influence trap, um, especially people that may not have that expertise or may not have the experience when it comes to working with influencers. 
But on the plus side, there has been a lot of talk about it. There's been a lot of articles around that. There's, you know, it's definitely becoming something that people are becoming more savvy in, which is incredible news because obviously it's it's a topic that we need to tackle as an industry. Um, and actually, um, you know, I have some I have some tips as well. Um, so. Uh, when you work with an influencer, for instance, it's very important to find out um, who their audience is. So um, look at the content um, that gets pulled in. Obviously, when it comes to fake influence, um, the main kind of thing of fake influence is buying followers, right? So um, that's what a lot of people tend to do. And so you'll see that a lot of uh, purchased followers are from uh, countries where the influencer is not actually based. So, for instance, if you have an influencer based in the UK, sometimes you'll see overlap UK, US just because of the language. But if you start to see that a majority of their audience is in Brazil or in Russia and they have no kind of ties to those countries, then you can kind of see that there's, you know, there's, there's a little bit of smoke there and there's a red flag and you definitely need to look into it a bit more um also kind of um follower growth is also quite important so um you'll see their historical graph in terms of how they've been growing their following and what you'll see is that um genuine kind of popular influencers grow their audience quite steadily and quite smoothly and it'll show a smooth graph whereas if people purchase influence you'll see that the graph is much less smooth and it shows sign of um, often exponential growth. So if you see those kind of things, those two together, you know, those are kind of red flags. Um, also important, obviously, um, common pods are becoming a thing. So influencers kind of can artificially raise their um, content and get more engagement on that. Um, and a lot of people have been using bots for that in the past. So it's also quite, it's advisable to kind of look through content manually, look through the comments and see see how generic those comments are. So if the comments say, great stuff, cool, or awesome, or just snappy, small words, then obviously um, that's a little bit of a red flag as well. Um, and often the, the easiest thing as well is just perform a Google search. Um, if you type an influencer into Google, you'll get results and, and often... Um, you know, if, if that person is a fake influencer, you'll you'll find some hints on, on Google search as well. Absolutely. And I think to a certain extent, um, this is a little bit of a monster that the industry has created, especially in terms of fake followers, right? Because reach has been so overused as a metric in terms of determining influence. And I think what's what's important is that none of those metrics should be single-handedly discounted. Reach is not meaningless, nor is engagement for that matter. But um, just just like any metrics, it's the context that counts. And uh, you will find even if you have mistakenly selected a questionable influencer as one of your targets, I'd argue you would pretty much find out quickly whether that relationship is of any value when you actually start building a relationship with that individual. Absolutely. I mean, I'll track back a little bit as well. I've actually written an article on that as well. It's kind of how, like you say, the industry has kind of created the fake following monster. Um, we've created it ourselves because for so many years, um, you know, reach was the, the, the most important factor. You know, this was you know, before micro-influencers came onto the scene. Everything was about reach. And obviously, you know, 
influencers catch up on this as well, or people that want to be influencers catch up on this. And, you know, there's the, it's the internet, you know, things are very easily accessible and there's, you know, where there's demand, there'll be a market for it. So, you know, when people started to see that, um, that brands and, and agencies were happy to pay people that had reach, you know, it didn't take very long for, for clever people to kind of see that and, and purchase followers. And, yeah, that that's very much a factor that's played a role in, in this whole situation that we're in currently. Um, but to kind of um, add to that as well, that um, when you talk to an influencer as a brand or as an agency, you'll often, when that becomes a personal relationship, you'll start to see how genuine they are, how authentic they are, how interested they are, or how much they know about certain topics, you know. So it's very much that, you know, even if you've spot, you know, you've identified and you're working with someone that has some of those red flags, once you start communicating with those people, you'll actually start to find out more and more about that person and, you know, why they're doing it or, yeah. So communication is very much an important part and a very important part of that. Absolutely. I think to wrap it up, it would be really interesting to hear your personal view on what to prioritize if you're a first-time engager as a brand in influencer marketing and you've got a little bit of budget but you need to show a little bit of success to loosen the purse strings what would you prioritize i would i would mix it up so obviously i i am a very firm believer in, in engagement but i also understand that for a lot of brands critical mass critical reach is important so i would definitely kind of if you want to start, you know, showing, you know, your boss um, how how this works, I would definitely recommend mixing it up a little bit. So if you can, you know, have a pool of smaller, more engaged micro-influencers, but also having some mid-range, you know, high, or high hitters that can provide you with that reach, then, you know, doing all the analytics, running all the numbers, crunching the, you know, the cost per engagement figures and everything, and then comparing them and then showing to your boss, look, this is what the micro, the more micro-influencers have, have given you and this is, you know, what they've done and this is what the high-reach hitters have done and then kind of feeding that info to those people and then you can all come, up, come to the conclusion. And, you know, for some brands, reach is more important and for some brands, engagement is more important and you can kind of, you need to figure that out yourself because obviously not everyone is the same and not every approach will be the same. Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's, that's a very good point is that there is no one way to necessarily go about this. And, and to that end, we've just released a white paper that you can find online, which is the definitive practical guide to influencer relationship management, which, uh, Philip here has co-authored alongside us. So if you're interested in learning more on these subjects and several others, go find it online. Thank you very much for your time, Philip. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That wraps up another Analytica podcast. Thanks from me. That's Ben. Take care.